Episode 60 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Isles. A trick that I've learned. Righto, guys, welcome along to episode 60 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Oz, your fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness and all the benefits that come alongside that. Righto, team, well, welcome along to this week's show, this fortnight show. I'm not really sure how you say that, but welcome along to today's show. I've got a, uh, an interesting show in front of you today. It's, um, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's obviously the Bevan show. This is the one where I talk about some stuff that I've been thinking about in my life and uh and in general maybe you can get some insight in that around you know your own growth moving forward i have to say i have already recorded the podcast that comes out in two weeks from now i've done the interview for the one in there and you must listen to the interview i do in a few weeks from now because it's a um a very interesting interview with an author of a book uh around nutrition really and it's to be honest it's going to be one of those ones where I may get some feedback which is a little bit I don't know it's interesting I I haven't touched nutrition a huge amount on this show Um, I know you know PT level of nutrition I'm not a nutritionist and there is there is a massive difference in level around that and I've always thought I'm more fascinated in my own personal interests around this kind of behavior concept and that's why this show is what it is Um, but you know once you start to go into nutrition world far out you can you can open doors to um different ways of thinking and, and passionate people who are very much stuck in a certain way of thinking and uh and this book is um an interesting way of looking at this topic and i and i highly recommend listening to the show in a couple of weeks from now because the guy who i interview was pretty fantastic so that will be coming out in two weeks from now, from today. Before we get into the main part of today's show, the main kind of lesson from today's show, it was funny, I, was, I, was, I, I had an experience last week. I was up in Auckland doing some work for Les Mills, and it's always an interesting time for me going up there because it's, there's almost this kind of high pressure that's a healthy thing, but at the same time creates a lot of doubt and insecurity and, um, you know, because you're testing yourself and... You know, like I, I think I did a show on this a few weeks ago where it's that whole idea of when you go to insecurity, how do you get through this? And luckily for me, even though I had this doubt and insecurity, I knew that really that should not pull me from the work that I needed to do to deliver on the level I wanted to do. So, um, and, and I was happy with the work I did when I was up there at the end of the week. But while I was there, I was hanging out with a few of my workmates and because it was a kind of a training week where we had to upskill in some areas of our lives. And there was one day where we didn't really have a lot to do. And so a few of the boys, there's about four or five of us, who were just sitting in this room and we, and we just we just talked. We just talked for, and we just talked for hours. Like we talked for probably five hours nonstop. And it was a good conversation. It, it really was. It, you know, at first it started off boys being boys. And the longer we went on, we kind of talked some politics and uh, and some business. And, and then we kind of talked into kind of personal kind of struggles and challenges and and where we want to grow as people and there was just so much value in that conversation and I just think that, that there is there's are you putting time in your life to actually sit down and communicate with people in ways where you can just let your stuff out 
And I know that there's an aspect of the people who listen to this show who are quite self-expressive and that probably gets fulfilled in your life in quite, you know, quite easily. But there's also an aspect of people in, who listen to the show who keep things in. And there's just real value in your life to be to be surrounded by people who and you can just sit down and talk in a non-judgmental kind of supportive environment where it's you're kind of sharing your experiences, but also just trying to help each other figure stuff out. And I know for myself, that conversation was just a really valuable thing. And, and I'm pretty sure that the other people I was talking to in that room that day, you know, we all walked away from that probably just with an understanding of stuff and um, and an understanding that we're all very similar in some of the struggles that we have. And there's real power in that understanding that I'm not alone in this. One of the guys who was talking in our conversation, I started talking about, we, we kind of got, you know, we kind of got into the deep stuff and that whole concept of what should you really be working on within yourself. And I think I did a podcast a long time ago around this, this whole idea of, you know, we, we spend often a lot of time working on the surface of our problems, but really a lot of the surface things we do are about really hiding the bigger problem that we need to be working on and really if we want to be thinking about how we should be developing ourselves as people while that surface surface development can be you know rewarding and good and actually have value unless we really kind of dig deep and look at the bigger problems we should be working on we may never really get to where we want to get to and if we are going to do that harder work of really addressing the bigger problem well then that opens us up to a much bigger way of living life. And one of the guys we were speaking to in the conversation, he was talking about how in his life there's this kind of uh, wanting to, to the world to show him that he's good enough is probably a good way of putting that. Uh, those aren't his exact words, but it's something like this. You know, something that he he wants to feel that the world acknowledges his, his place and in some ways he doesn't feel that it does and uh, but at the same time he wants to be safe in the world and so there's kind of this kind of dilemma where I, I want to be safe but because I want to be safe I'm not willing to express to those people who can maybe give me what I need that I want what they can offer and through this I uh, it kind of creates this kind of struggle for me within myself. And it was a really interesting discussion because it really went down this whole idea of I'm fearful of if I were to put that out to the world, would my world reject me? So I'm fearful that if I were to show the world what I want to be and what I want to aspire to and where I think I should be achieving, will I be rejected? And for the fear of rejection is actually making me not put my hand up for the opportunities and and or, or just even to shine the light on me in the world in a way that can help me those around me see that I want those possibilities and opportunities and it was really interesting talking to this person because what they were talking about was this concept that I've just talked about here and that was that whole that well my fear of being rejected makes me not put myself in the best position to have the opportunities that I desire. But the problem is, is because I do not put that self that stuff forward, I always feel rejected because people don't necessarily see that that's what I want. So this is kind of, I hope this is making sense. This is kind of revolving kind of circle happening here that I'm 
I, I desire this thing, but I'm fearful of asking for it because I'm fearful of rejection. But because my will doesn't see that I want this and because I don't express that I want this and they maybe not even see it because I don't do that, I then feel rejected. And it was a really kind of interesting discussion around that. And the, the, then the kind of discussion went down to a really another interesting area and it, it was this whole concept of, well, what does this fear of me being rejected limit me from actually opening up to in the world? So what does my fear of being rejected limit me from trying to do and helping me to achieve my goals? So the example of this person I was talking to was that they have this real, that they are very, very good at what they do. Like, you know, one of the best in their industry at what they do. And it's almost like they hope that those around them will see that they are really good at what they do and that, and that those around them will see that and then offer the opportunities to them. And to an extent, that's been a really good strategy. But then at the same time, this person hasn't necessarily explored faster ways or better ways to move down the path that they want to achieve with those around them because of that fear of rejection. And so while this person is doing a lot to, to achieve the goals that they're hoping to achieve, there's things that they aren't willing to explore because of this fundamental fear of rejection. And maybe that if they were willing to explore these, the path towards where they were trying to go would probably move faster and a lot easier and probably a lot supportive away, along the way as well. And this was just a really interesting discussion that, that really got me thinking. When we think about the big areas of our life, you know, the big areas of life where we want to develop ourselves and we want to have amazing opportunities, where is my, my fear actually holding me back from achieving what I want to achieve? What are, what, are the, what are those things that they are actually holding me back on? And I think just, you know, think about yourself right now. Think about, you know, you might feel that you're not where you should be in your career or you're not where you are within your study or you might, you know, something like that. And there's this aspect of my world's not offering it to me, but then maybe you're not putting your hand up for it. And what is the fear that creates the moment where you don't put your hand up? where putting your hand up would actually lead you towards the path that you want and probably a much more supportive, clearer path. Once you can figure out what that is, then you can start to work on overcoming that. And that was really the conclusion we got to with this person I was talking to the other day, was that, you know, this person is really good at working on themselves, but there's a layer that they needed to go deeper into to working on themselves. And what would that open up for them moving forward so i don't know i just want to share with that with you guys today it was one of those really good conversations and, and it was one of those conversations that i walked away from thinking about the stuff within this within my own life like where am i limiting myself because of my own little kind of insecurities and i know i've probably talked about this on the show in the past but it was just quite topical in my mind right now um i, I Oh, I can go into lots of subjects right now. I'm kind of some sometimes when I'm doing this show, when it's the kind of the Bevan show, I kind of sometimes I struggle to think of a concept, and then other times I'm kind of overloaded with concepts. And today I'm kind of overloaded, and I'm going to share another kind of concept with you, and one that I wrote about in, for my press piece this week, and then I'll get into the main part of today's show. So um, I wrote a press piece to, yesterday. I kind of sat on the couch and wrote a press piece about 
Chris, no, not sorry, Chris Rock. I'm thinking of Kevin Hart. Now, for those of you guys who don't know much about Kevin Hart, Kevin Hart is pretty much the world's leading comedian right now. He is the biggest selling comedian of all time. He's currently on a tour right now. I can't remember what it's called, but it's sold more tickets than any other tour in the history of comedy. He's making something like $40 million from this tour. So the guy's doing all right. And um, it's really interesting when you kind of do it. It's like, like one thing you guys need to know about me is I love comedians. I, I love like most of the podcasts I listen to. I listen to a lot of kind of, you know, growth podcasts and financial podcasts and, and those types of podcasts. I also love some tech, but I love listening to comedians talk. And, and there's lots of reasons, you know, I find them entertaining. I find them funny. I also find it interesting a life where, you know, that's that's the choice you make in your life. So I'm always curious to see why these people make the kind of decision. Because while we can look at a Kevin Hart and an Eddie Murphy and a Chris Rock and a Jerry Seinfeld and look at this amazing life these guys lead, it's very much a one percent game. You know, ninety nine percent of comedians out there, it's it's a very struggling life. But there's something about chasing that the high of the laughter, I suppose, that is really appealing to these guys. And I always find it really interesting to to look at a passionate person in an area where the rewards are very hard to get. But Chris, I'm sorry, I keep getting Kevin Hart, not Chris Rock. Kevin Hart is a comedian who understands the value of work ethic. And he did an interview on the Mark Maron podcast, the WTF, what, what the fuck, I probably shouldn't say fuck, but what the fuck podcast with Mark Maron. And... Um, it's, it's a brilliant podcast, Mark Maron's podcast. He kind of sits down with lots of entertainers and talks about their life. And he kind of goes deeper into their lives. But he did one with Kevin Hart a while ago. And there was one really kind of underlying message that I got from the podcast with Mark Maron. And it was that there was a reason Kevin Hart was the most successful comedian in the world right now. And the reason was that he worked. And he worked on his career continuously and he, and he always was kind of focused and aware of where he was trying to do or to move and what he was trying to create in his career and I found it really admirable listening to his kind of interview with Mark Maron on his podcast well you may remember last year we had the Sony hacks now the Sony hacks for those who don't know the Sony Pictures Entertainment was basically hacked about in 2014 at some stage and all their kind of confidential data was put out for all the world to see now this data kind of included some really kind of confidential information. It had personal emails, information about how stars got paid, um, information on unreleased films, you know, all these types of things. There was kind of controversy around, um, you know, the difference between the female and male pay and, and all these types of things. And it was kind of an embarrassing time for Sony for many reasons, obviously, because of the exposure of all this stuff. But within the personal emails, there were some emails where there kind of catty and, and gossipy and critical of a lot of the stars that they used in their films. And one of the stars that they were critical of was Kevin Hart in, his, in, in one of these emails. I think two of the executives actually were in the emails and they called Chris, sorry, Kevin Hart, they used the term whore in the emails going around about Kevin Hart. And the reason was is that uh, Kevin Hart made a few movies for those guys and um, they asked him if he could tweet out some kind of promotional stuff around a movie. And I think he maybe had asked if, he'd been pa- if he could be paid for it. And, you know, hence they called him a whore for this reason. Now, can you imagine what it would be like in your life if you found out your boss or your workmates or those around you in your work life were saying things like that about you? 
Can you imagine the place that you would go to if you were to open up an email and read that your boss had called you a whore? What do you think would happen to you in that place? Now, I imagine if I opened up an email like that, it would become kind of life-consuming. You know, like it would there'd be, you know, far out. It would be really challenging. I always wonder what energy space am I living in? And I imagine if I opened up an email like this, instantly it's almost like everything else would disappear and this would become all-consuming for this next period of my life. And there'd be this me dealing with it and who would I become as I deal with this? Do I become an ugly person because I'm hurt and I want to hurt these people back? Then there's, you know, do I have to address it? And I personally myself, I hate confrontation, so I do I lose some self-respect because I'm not willing to address it? Or do I kind of address it and it becomes this big elephant in the room that could damage my career? You know, there's, there's massive implications that come along with the exposure of this conversation. And Kevin Hart's response to this was, was something that I found really, really fascinating because, you know, how would you respond and how much would this consume you? And Kevin Hart's response was was brilliant, if you ask me. And here's what he said. So on his Instagram account, he posted this. He got, knowing your self-worth is extremely important, people. I've worked very hard to get where I am today. I look at myself as a brand, and because of that, I'm never willing to allow myself to be taken advantage of. I own my brand. I make smart decisions for my brand. I protect my brand, which is why I'm able to brush aside ignorance off my shoulders and continue to move forward. I refuse to be broken. With that being said, it's now time for me to get back to building this empire that I've always dreamed of. Now there's lots of kind of cool stuff you can see through this kind of um, his statement he made here. You know, obviously he, he's taken the higher ground. You know, he's not going to play, come back and say, well, look at these guys, blah, 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 blah. He's he's taken the higher ground. He's, You know, I remember a friend of mine once said to me, and I think this is always really great, is when someone tries to beat you down, always be the better person. And I think you win by being the better person. And in this moment, Kevin Hart won over those those executives from Sony because he took the higher ground. So that's pretty impressive. Another thing is, is in, a, in an unarrogant way, he took pride in his work. Like he, you know, he's saying, I think I'm worth something and I've worked hard to create this brand that I am. And I think it's really important that I protect it and, um, and I'm okay with that. And I, for me, myself, I think that's really, there's nothing wrong with that. I think we do have to sometimes in our life be the defenders of ourselves and and we actually have to stand up for ourselves when we need to fight for our respect and our credibility from those around us. But the part of the, the statement that really hit the biggest note for me was the last sentence. And he said, with that being said, it's now time for me to get back to building this empire that I've always dreamed of. I'm going to say it again. With that being said, it's now time for me to get back to building this empire that I've always dreamed of. To me, that's that's the most powerful statement of that whole statement. If I go back to what I was saying earlier around Kevin Hart, he's the most successful comedian in the world right now. Now, he's a funny guy, you know, like he's a funny guy. But there's lots of funny guys out there. And when you hear the interview of Mark Maron and, and you kind of hear this guy... It's, it's not a fluke that he's the best comedian in the world, or the most successful. Best is obviously an opinion thing, but when it comes to selling tickets, he's the most successful comedian in the world. And the reason is, or one of the reasons is, is the boy knows how to work, and he works extremely hard. But what this showed me was that 
He has the ability to stay focused when distractions come into his life. Like if I go back to that whole idea of where would you go within yourself if you opened up an email and you saw that your work peers were calling you a whore, how much of your life do you think that would consume? Now for some people, that may consume them for months. You know, you might see that work making every time you see them, you're, you're trying to get back at them. For some people, it might be, you know, a few weeks where it's absolutely consuming you. Now, when we think about that consumption, that is a distraction from the path that you're trying to create in your life. That is a distraction that's pulling me away from the real work that I should be doing in my life. And I'm, we can talk career here, but we can talk my personal work as well. That, that, that experience is a distraction from the ultimate work of my life. And the ultimate work of my life is me working on and creating the empire I desire. And what Kevin Hart has done and what he's showing us here and which I really respect him for here is that he can see that this is a distraction. He needed to address it and he addresses it. But then he puts his focus back on the real work he should be doing. And I think there's a real lesson in this for us. And the lesson is this. How often are you getting distracted from the real work that you should be doing in your life? And when you are distracted from the real work you're doing in your life, how long does it take you to get back on the path that is the right path for you? Now, there's many levels we can look at within this. We can look at little distractions. You know, we all struggle with social networking right now, and we all struggle with our phones. Like, I don't think we're ever going to win that battle to 100%, but, well, some people will, but... You know, like that, that's, that's a distraction. And then there's these kind of, these big distractions like this Kevin Hart experience, like uh, relationship problems at work, like something didn't go your way. If I can learn when my distractions are pulling me away from the real work of my life, my career, my, my dreams, I can then get back on track faster. And that's ultimately what Kevin Hart has taught us here. So when you think about yourself in your life and you really reflect upon yourself, when distraction, I suppose there's probably three things to think of here. First of all is, what are the distractions that pull me off my path? But what are those things that you know deep down end up taking a lot of your time and move you away from the work you should be doing? Then once I start to understand my distractions, how can I see that they are there and how do I push them aside, address them, because that's what Kevin Hart has done here. He has addressed them, addressed them, and then moved back towards the direction of creating the life I want. I suppose the last question to ask here is, is what is the ultimate life you should be creating? What is your empire? You know, what, what is that? <laughs> that's a big question. Some of you know it. Some of you are already on it. Some of you don't know it. Some of you wouldn't even have a clue. But if distractions are pulling you away from even searching for it, you're never going to find it. And if you are that person who sits here and goes, well, I don't know what my passion is, I don't know what that is, your first job is to just explore and, and find that. But if you can see, again, that those distractions are pulling you away, well, there you, you know, that's, that's something you should work on first. I haven't even started today's show, guys. <laughs> and before I do, I have to talk about the patrons because this show it really mainly only happens because of the patrons because, uh, you know, those guys are absolute rock star. And I have got a new patron this month, so I'm just going to quickly pause and I'll be back in a second. 
so I am back and a quick pause happened and just before I name the new patron I just want to thank a few of the patrons that are already on the show we've got Greg the Python Crowley Luke Agent 001 Miller Pip Silent Assassin Langford we've got Kate the Perfect One Southern and we've got Robin, Robbie Big Shot Allen that's a good one uh, we've got Gemma and Glenn Mitchell they Team Divine and uh, Gemma's just about to have a baby pretty soon which is very exciting and then the latest patron is a lady called Libby Hilda and Libby Hilda is actually a girl that I know here in Christchurch she's been one of the, she's been a part of my world for a long time actually as a gym member and then in my running group she's been a part of my running group pretty much from day one um, and Libby is this, this lady who who, how do you describe Libby? Libby is a person who is passionate about people, who um, shoots for the stars when it comes to her own growth, um, and, and is a real hoot of a character. She's a big talker. Libby would know that. She'd be the first to say it. Um, and, and who can I give someone a hard time about being a big talker? Because it's it's an expertise that I have as well, Libs. Libby is, is um, the first person to... Uh, support people in their growth she's uh, also loves giving people a bit of shit she, they, they know that they need to be given a bit of shit um yeah she's just she's a lovely person and she's she's achieved some pretty amazing goals um and i've watched her grow so much over the years and i actually wrote a piece about libby in the, my local newspaper a while ago around the whole idea of exercise and growth because libby went from you know achieved some amazing growth in her half marathon times and the reason was, at the end of the day, was she's hard working and all the rest of it, but she was just so consistent. And unfortunately for Libby, she's she's training to do the New York Marathon in about seven or eight weeks from now, and she's had a bit of a bad knee, so it's not really turning out to be the experience she hoped for. But the thing is, I, I just know Libby will get there because this woman, when it comes to determination, just does not lack any ounce of determination in her life and it may not be the experience she was hoping to have she may have to walk parts of it she may even have to walk all of it because of her knee but i tell you what walk crawl bloody handstand the run she, she's going to get to the end of that race and uh you know it's, it's just awesome she's just a real kind of sh- person who shows character so uh, when it came to the nickname for Libby, it seemed it seemed appropriate. I just called it All In, All In Hilda. So Libby All In because when it, Libby is 100% liver. There's no denying. Whatever she's doing, she's doing 100% at that moment. So Libby, you are Libby All In Hilda. Hopefully you like your nickname. Um, team, if you want to become a patron of the show, I would really appreciate it. You know, uh, I get great feedback on the show. It seems to be that you guys love what I'm doing here. And uh, if, if, you've, if it's just helped you in some way, shape or form, you know, you can donate as little as much as you want. You know, you think of, does this show give you content like reading a book a year? Well, if it does, you know, maybe if you can just donate a book's worth of kind of patronage to the show each year, that'd be really great. So go onto the website, go to bevanjamesos.com. There's a real obvious link that will take you through to my Patreon page and um, we can rock on from there. Team... Once again, Patreon, go to bevanjamesowers.com and YouTube can become a patron of the show and help me do what I'm doing. Righto guys, so we're going to get into the main gist of the show right now. I've already done half an hour, I could almost bloody wrap the show up, but I'm not going to. I'm going to get into the main gist of today's show and uh, hopefully there's some good insight in for you. Here we go. Can you remember your first job? Can you remember, you know, your first job, you may have, uh, I don't know where you guys started, but maybe you went to university or maybe you uh, left school and you did an apprenticeship or maybe, I'm not quite sure, like, but I'm thinking your first real job, not your, your paper run, but the first time where 
at the end of the week, you got a paycheck. Now, I remember my first job. My first job, I left school. You guys know that I was as thick as crap, so <laughs> I left school <clears throat> uh, at the age of 15. And, uh, you know, I, as much as I was had no kind of academic intelligence so luckily my parents had installed in me this kind of work ethic so I'd always worked as a paper boy and I'd always done milk runs and I'd always done part-time jobs outside of my school and uh, so while I left school feeling like a failure I knew that I wasn't going to be like a dull bludger or someone who just didn't work at all I knew that and you know I needed to get a job and after a couple of weeks I managed to get a job at a joinery firm a place called Nolex Industries and uh yeah, I started working, and it was a very labour kind of intensive job, you know, you kind of very practical kind of job, and uh, probably wasn't a good fit for me really, because I wasn't the most practical kid, but it was a job. I remember my six hours, six dollars an hour, um, you know, which which was what was it probably twenty years ago now, you know, twenty years, six dollars an hour was still pretty much the lowest you could pay someone. I think minimum wage was like maybe five or six dollars an hour, so that you know that's what I started on in my job, which was which was pretty much nothing but at the same time you know I'm living at home got no expenses you know I don't have any debt I, I think I bought, I bought a Mitsubishi Mirage that was my first car and uh but mum had lent me the money for it so I had to pay mum some money back I think my first paycheck was something like far out maybe a couple hundred dollars in my hand like it wasn't a huge amount of money can you remember what the first thing you bought was with that first paycheck can you remember, can you, when you think back on that first paycheck, can you remember exactly the first thing you bought? Now, I, I, I've never been a hugely material person, and it's really funny when I think back on the first thing that I bought. I remember I was driving home from work down Brougham Street, this long kind of road, you know, kind of a main road in Christchurch here, driving down the street, and I pulled into the petrol station, and back in those days you got cash, so you didn't have a Visa card, or you didn't have an FBOS card, you just had your $250 or whatever it was, cash. And I bought a big bag of Biggins. Now, Biggins are a, a, a kind of chip, like a, a savoury chip, like a potato chip, but they're not potato chips, but kind of like a potato chip. A big bag, massive bag of potato chips. I bought a big block of chocolate, and it was probably fruit and nut back in those days. It was my favourite chocolate back in those days. And a two litre of normal Coke. That was the first thing I bought with my paycheck. And to me, that was that was like, man, I've, I've earned my money. That's my first big thing. Went home, I ate my chips, I ate my whole cake of chocolate, drunk two liters. Gee, was creepers. <laughs> when we talk about diet, that, that definitely wasn't a great strategy. Now, that, that reward moment, that kind of moment in my life when I had my first paycheck and I felt like an adult in some kind of way and I went and spent it on those things, what I bought at that moment became almost my reward in my life for the next period of my time, outside of drugs and alcohol. You know, if I wanted to do something for a treat for myself, I would buy a big bag of Biggins, a two litre of normal Coke, so it was the full sugar Coke, and then I'd buy a, a you know, a king-sized block of chocolate. To the So over the next period of time, any time I wanted to reward myself, that's what I would do. And the reward would be after I'd had a big night out or a big day, or, or if I just wanted to watch a DVD at night, you know, I'd watch two nights of DVDs a week and I'd have my Biggins, my Coke and my chocolate every time I had watched the DVD. 
Now, obviously, this wasn't the most healthiest behavior to have in my life, but to be honest, when you're 17, 18, 16, you can kind of eat a lot of crap food and kind of get away with it. And I was, and I was kind of probably playing some sport and, you know, keeping kind of active. So I didn't really care about my health at that age. Now, a while ago, I was, I was thinking about this kind of habit that I had in this light period of my life. And I probably maintained this habit for probably a good four or five years until really I got into fitness. So there was a lot of times where I was just drinking, you know, two litres of Coke, having my biggins and having my block of chocolate. Jeepers creepers, I'd hate to think, I could, probably couldn't eat that much nowadays, but, but you know. But a while ago I was thinking about this and I was thinking about when did that stop? When did that stop? You know, because nowadays a treat for me, so let's say if I go to the movies, I'll get a, a chunk size bar of dark chocolate so you know it, always under 50 grams whereas previously it was like 250 to 300 grams of chocolate I'll I will still get my Coke Zero I, you guys know I like my Coke Zero and, and I'll tend to get you know a zero option so it's you know at least it's a little bit better than you know normal Coke and I'll probably get a bag of chips a small bag of chips so there's still moments in my life where I'm going to have you know foods that we would consider more treaty I'm, I'm not you know what, I eat healthy 80% of the time and the other 20% I'm going to be, you know, I'm not, I'm not that anal eater. It's just not that important to me. I've got a healthy life and I think I've got a really healthy balance on how I approach food. But there was obviously a shift somewhere in my life where I went from being this guy who could have two litres of Coke, a big bag of Biggins and a block of chocolate to nowadays where a guy who, you know, very, you know, occasionally when I go to a movies, I'll have some chocolate, a little bit of chips and a Diet Coke option. So there's still this kind of effect you know, 20 years later, there's still with this kind of habit of at times I'm going to have my treaty foods. But as I was reflecting upon this the other day, I was, I was or a while ago, I was just thinking about this and thinking, well, well when was the moment where that changed? When, when was the moment where that I went from, you know, those that massive amount of food to becoming a guy who has moments within control around those foods? Like one thing I don't really do now is, is that kind of overgorging of bad foods. It's not that it doesn't happen, but it's it's very rarely. Whereas that younger version of myself, it was an often kind of occurrence. And as I reflected upon this, I realized that it, it, there wasn't really a defining moment. It wasn't that one day I woke up and thought, man, this is too much food. What kind of happened was there was these little in incremental changes in my behavior where it went from being a, a high volume of food to being a reasonable amount of treat within a really healthy diet and you know this is I, I was just really fascinated about this and it made me realize that it just wasn't a big jump for me you know this you know that I didn't actually just go one moment bang to bang is that actually over time with this it was just small little changes so, for example, eventually I realized that normal Coke, you know, the amount of sugar that's in normal Coke was just an, an easy energy loss to go to the diet option. And admittedly, I never really liked diet Coke, but when the zero came out, it seemed like a pretty good substitute for it. So, you know, once that moment came along, I kind of just shifted to zero. Now, in itself, there was this, uh, you know, obviously a massive amount of sugar that got reduced from my diet because I was probably having, you know, two liters of Coke two or three times a night. A week, I mean, so, you know, that, that was a really healthy choice. Then the chocolate, you know, I would always feel sick after eating that much chocolate. Like having a king-size cake of chocolate, you feel crook. And after a while, I just didn't really like feeling crook. So after a while, I just determined that, well, why don't I just have less chocolate? I wanted chocolate. I just wanted less chocolate. So that became a thing where... I, you know, now suddenly I'm just eating a chunk size bucket. I always try to keep it under 50 grams, sometimes a little bit less. <clears throat> you know, that's 
you know, again, a healthy amount within a healthy diet. And then the bag of chips, you know, and instead of having a whole bag of chips, you know, I, I buy a smaller bag of chips. And, you know, so over time, it wasn't this moment of I just need to totally switch. It was small incremental change at different times that led me towards a place where my treat times in my life now is actually a really healthy thing that I can enjoy without guilt and comes with no real negative consequences. And thinking about this has really got me the idea of of taking this back to change behavior. This, you know, when I was thinking about this, it really got me starting to think about change behavior again. And one of the reasons most of us struggle with change behavior is it's just too hard. It's just too hard. What a lot of people try to do is they try to make a dramatic sweeping change behavior across their whole life at one time. And they can maintain it for a moment, but it's almost like once I, let's say you go on a diet, you know, and you, you change everything. You can maintain it for a period of time. But to change it in a massive way for a long period, like permanently, it takes a lot of effort. And often just the effort is just too hard. And what a lot of people try to do is they try to create all this change all at once. So they'll try to change their diet. They'll try to include exercise in their life. They'll try to change their sleeping habits. It's almost like they try to change every part of their life at once because they want to achieve this massive growth. And unfortunately, because they're trying to achieve so much change at once, it's just so hard that they give up, that, you know, they have this moment of weakness because they kind of, it's fatiguing and all the rest of it, and they give up and they move away from it. And as I started to think about this whole idea of, you know, looking back on my my behaviours around the way I deal with treats in my life, it made me realise that when we think about change, maybe what we should do is chunk change in our life. Chunk change, that's a good term, I should have paid in there. <laughs> but chunk change, what, what I mean here... Well, if we go back to my my analogy here of my my treats, how they've changed, there was one area of my life that needed to change when it came to me feeling like I wanted to rule myself with food, when it came for me to relax, that I had this this moment where that came at a cost to my health, that I would overconsume to the point where I was actually sick, you know, like sickly. It was actually really unhealthy eating. I would overconsume, and you know that was the, that moment in my life. Now, I have to be honest, I didn't consciously deal with this in the way I'm going to talk about right now, but it's, you know, looking back, that's how I kind of did. And over time, I, through kind of experiences, A, realizing that Coke had so much sugar, B, feeling crap after eating so much chocolate, and C, realizing that 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 was too many chips, I realized that I needed to make adjustments to those behaviors. And through making adjustments to those behaviors, I shifted from a habit that was, again, quite negative or had a bad effect to one which, you know, is... I actually think there's nothing wrong with the level of kind of treats I have in my life. I think it's a good little level. So that then got me thinking about how you guys approach your change. So when you think about your change in your life, do you always go in and really try to sweep the whole world aside? So you, it's almost like you you look at every habit in your life and you're trying to turn it upside down on your head and create massive change at once. And... If you do that, historically, have you actually failed? Like historically, if you look at the way I've tried to change, have you failed? Now, when I think about this, I often think about diets. Like, you know, the real measure of a diet is are you, have you maintained the weight loss for two years? Have you maintained the weight loss for a year? 
To me, anything under that means you've just gone through a moment where you've been extreme with your behaviors, but you couldn't maintain them and you often go back to the way you started with. We've seen it so many times. I imagine many people who have listened to this right now who have been on diets have probably lost the weight and put it back on again. And often those people kind of live in this circle of lose weight, put it on, lose weight, put it on. Really what we're trying to think about when we think about changes do I have the ability to create a sustainable lifestyle that gives me the desired result that I want for a long period of time? And that's the ultimate diet. That's the ultimate, again, not diet, but that's the ultimate kind of food strategy I want in my life is that I want to be able to sit in a weight range, let's just say 70 kg. I'm not sure if that's for you, but um, but let's just say it's 70 kg. And with that 70 kg, you want to be able to sit in that for forever. You know, like for me, I'm 80, pretty much sit around 80 kg. I kind of should say this weight for the rest of my life. Now, do my dietary kind of habits help me to achieve that? Now, if you're someone who's lived in this yo-yo and you've looked at your life and, and you realize that you have these kind of one moment where you're trying to sweep change all your behaviors, but then you realize it's too hard and you can't actually do it, then you go back to your old behaviors and often in a more real extreme way then there's got to be another approach. And that's where I thought today I could offer an approach that would be a little bit of a different approach. And, and I'm going to call it chunk change because even though I just kind of made it up, put it out of my butt, I'm going to go with it. And the idea of a chunk change is instead of trying to change every aspect of your life at one moment, work on one aspect of your life for a period of time. So let's look at this. So obviously the example I've used here today is my treat times around food. My treat times around food, traditionally, when I first started having treats, my first thing I bought when I got home from work, or on the way home from work, was my chips, my Coke, and my chocolate. Over time, I've chunked that change, and I've changed that that, that moment of my life, that chunk of my life, into you know a habit that I'm happy to be living in. And that's what I want you to think about for yourself. If you know you want to create change in your life right now, Instead of trying to throw the whole bed over its head and you know change your whole life around, maybe a better approach is to look at one aspect that you can work on changing for the next period of time. Now one way you can approach this is to look at it at a time of the day. So let's say right now you look at your, your mornings and you realise your mornings as an overall kind of behaviour habits are really poor. That you may determine that uh, you, you when you you perform best when you eat breakfast, but you sleep in and then you don't eat breakfast. Um, and then when you do eat breakfast, you probably eat too much, or you drink too much coffee, or you have too many sugars in your coffee. Um, you're always running late, you're disorganised, and so that means the rest of your day is all thrown over its head. So there's kind of these behaviours that take you to a place that you don't like in yourself. Now, if you were to say to yourself, for the next period of my life, all of the change I'm going to try focus on is to create the perfect morning. That that's what I'm working on. And as I think about creating the perfect morning routine for me, I'm looking at sustainable behaviors that I believe I can achieve for ongoing past the year. So what we're really looking to do here is to instead of trying to change my whole world, I'm looking at a chunk of my world that I'm trying to change. So the first thing you want to do around this kind of morning exercise is you may want to look at the behaviors kind of do a, a little bit of a brainstorm around what behaviours are my good behaviours, what behaviours are my bad behaviours, 
or pull me away from where I want to be with myself? And then which behaviors are ones that I aspire to have but aren't, don't have right now? So you may determine that you know there's some behaviors that you have right now in the morning that actually you think are really good and you want to maintain. Then you may determine that there are some behaviors that are ultimately take you to a bad place. It might be organization, it might be nutrition, it might be your sleep habits, it might be just the energy you're in and so on. Then you think about, well, what behaviors do I want to move towards? And that's that's kind of the really exciting bit. Like I often think, well, how do you make your ultimate morning? Like what would your ultimate morning be? Would it be that you wake up, you know, you get up a little bit earlier because you don't like to rush. So you wake up a little bit earlier, you get out of bed, you have a shower, you spend some time on yourself, making yourself presentable to the world in a way that makes you feel really good. You have a nice breakfast, you put some cool music on. And while you do that, once you've had your breakfast, you just sit down, you look at your day, and you kind of plan your day mentally, so you're kind of preparing for what's in front of you. And, and you know, maybe if you've got people in your house, you have a good conversation, your, your energy is nice for them, so as you walk out the door, there's not that kind of, oh, I have to deal with all that stuff. It's actually, hey, I'm, I love these people, and I enjoy being around these people. Like, what would your perfect morning look like? And where is that in comparison to where you are with your perfect morning? And what behavior change do you need to create to do that? Once you can identify what that behavior change is, then over the next period of time, you can look to make those small adjustments that tweak it to a point where you are finally in that place where you want to be. So you might be that actually you you kind of realize you get up a little bit late. And even though it's only 15 minutes later than what you probably could have, that extra 15 minutes would really help you just be a bit more relaxed once you get up. So instead of kind of being this rush-filled morning, it's now suddenly just kind of relaxed time where I can actually find my space to have a great day. Now, over a period of time, let's say you do it, let's say you wake up and you, you kind of do this work and you've chunked that moment of your life and you create behavior change around that. And then, you know, three months from now, you suddenly have this kind of perfect morning routine for you. What do you think the effects of that are going to be on your life? Well, the effects are going to be pretty obviously that you're going to be more healthy and mentally and physically and emotionally and all those types of things. And then from there, it's just about sustaining that, that way of looking, you know, that way of having my breakfast or my morning routine. And then from there, you can look at another area of my life. Okay, well, I'm going to now chunk change my treats around my habits. You know, I'm a bit like Bev. You know, when it comes to my treat time, my behaviors are really extreme. And, and they come at massive costs for me. So for the next period of time, I'm going to work on changing that. And I'll get down from it being, you know, like Bev, a big bag of begins, a block of chocolate and Coke. And I'm going to get it down to, you know, I'm still going to have my treat time, but it might be 25 grams of chocolate and half a bag of small chips and, you know, whatever. And I'm going to work on that. And over time, I'm going to kind of refine that those behaviors within that so that I can still have what I need from it, but in a way that's much healthier. And then once you've looked at the treat part of your life, you might look at your your work habits around how you eat when you're at work. That you you live by the vending machine and, and you always buy out and that's partly because you don't make your lunch and obviously maybe you can make lunch in your morning routine. But you can see where I'm going with this. Is that instead of just trying to flip your whole life upside down and trying to create behavior change which is often so hard it's not sustainable, which then often then reinforces that I really suck at change, which means makes me feel like I'm stuck in the life that I've had and the results that, that that life brings and the esteem that that life brings. I'm looking at just chunk changing my life. 
And it's almost like these little pet projects I'm going to work on for the next period. Now, as these pet projects start to stack on top of themselves, after a period of time, you're going to have this lifestyle that is going to be sustainable for the long term, where you'll have to stay healthy for the long term as well. And I suppose that's my point of today's talk, is that really, often, we all desire change. It's just our strategies are really poor. And our strategies set us up for failure, which reinforces all the bad stuff, which keeps us in bad behaviours. I kind of believe that maybe a better way of doing this, if we think of this whole concept of working on yourself, that if you were just to go, you know what, for the next period of time, I'm not even going to worry about my treats. I know it's not perfect, but, you know, I'm going to get to that soon. First of all, the morning. That's what I'm going to work on first. Then from there, I'll go for my treats. But as again, as you stack those chunk changes on top of each other, after a period of time, you'll be living a different way. A way that's much healthier and, you know, will have a much more positive effect on your life. I suppose the only other point I'll make here is choosing what to chunk change on. And, you know, you might you might kind of, as you think about all the change you desire, maybe you could write down, you know, here are the seven or eight areas of change that I desire and you could prioritize them. You could say, okay, well, actually this one here seems to be the one that has the biggest effect on my life. So over this next period of life, I'm going to really work on ch- changing this part of my life. And then once I get on top of that, then I'm going to go to the priority two. Or you could go the other way. You could go, you know what, I don't feel like I'm very good at change, so I'm going to start on the easier way. There's a guy called Dave Ramsey, um, who I've probably talked to you about on this podcast because I I really enjoy his work. He's a financial guy, and he talks about uh, the financial snowball. And the financial snowball was that when people try to pay off, I'm sure I've talked about this before, before, but anyway, when people try to pay off debt, what a lot of people think is that they should pay off the debt that has the most interest first. And logically, that makes sense. Like, if I've got a lot of interest, what do I want to do? Well, I want to get, if I've got five debts and one I'm paying 20% on and one I'm paying 15 and 10 and 8 and 7 and so on, obviously, mathematically, I'm going to go, well, I want to pay off the one that's 20%. But Dave Ramsey says, actually, that's not a very good strategy because if that's the one that's got the most debt on it, you never feel like you're beating it. His strategy is what he calls the snowball effect, that you should just get the smallest debt first. So it's not even about the interest rate, that what you should do is you should pay off the smallest debt first. And then once you've paid off the smallest debt, the money you've put in your smallest debt, you're paying to your second smallest debt. And why does he think that? Well, sure, in theory, it would cost you a little bit more to be paying on you know the minimal payment on the 20% dent but ultimately if you pay off the smallest debt first you feel like you're winning you feel like you're being successful instead of kind of being in this big debt that's costing you heaps and you know six months later you still haven't paid it off it's a bit of a soul destroyer but if you pay off this first one and then you put that money in the second one it feels like you're winning and suddenly you feel like you're winning so you get motivated to keep moving down that path and so maybe as we think about this chunk change kind of theory, and if you were to break down you know, the seven or eight areas of my life where I feel I want to achieve behavior change, maybe it isn't about going for the big one first. Maybe it's about going for a small one first and having this kind of moment where within yourself you just feel that you can change. Because maybe the big one's too hard at first. And over time, that as you kind of chunk through the easier ones, you might do one, two, and three on that list on the easier side, that by the time you get to the harder ones, you know you can create change. Because you've had this history and experience of seeing change happen in your life. Think about yourself right now. Think about the change that you ultimately desire in your life. 
if you were to work on yourself and you were to you know break down where those areas are and to you know think of the behaviors you want to change the behaviors you're good that you want to maintain and then you were to contemplate you know the prioritizing of them and then to chunk change and work on just the easier ones first do you think you'd have to create change that you could sustain for more than one year of your life which shows that you have a behavior set that is more this is how i live life now I, i kind of believe that would happen I believe if you're willing to do the work and you were to take an approach like this, that ultimately you'd be moving down that path to becoming the better version of yourself. Right, a team that's pretty much this week's show, or this Fortnite show. Fortnite just doesn't work as a term. Let's be honest. I, I, you know I struggle with this on the show, but... This, this episode's content, maybe that's what I should say. Hopefully there's some stuff for you to think about within that. You know, ultimately, I suppose we go back to Kevin Hart's message, that, that, that kind of, are you doing the work on your life? You know, are you doing that work? Are you really? Like, are you really? Are you really putting aside time for yourself to be looking and reflecting and developing and, and growing yourself in ways that are really important to you? Like, nothing changes unless we put the time into the change. And then if you are doing that, putting that time aside, the, the chunk change approach is a really good way of doing it. And I, and I kind of, this, this concept is one that I've just been thinking about over the last few weeks. And so hopefully it, it came across in a really clear way for you guys to understand. But I just do love this idea of breaking down moments of my life where change needs to happen and then working on them. And I do like the idea of that snowball effect. I'll start with the easy ones because what that teaches you is that I can sustain change. And if you are that person who's yo-yoed with change your whole life, you probably don't have much belief around that right now. So you actually want to build the belief that I can sustain it. So um, some really cool stuff to think about there. Hopefully it really works for you. Team, if you have any questions that you want to send to me, you can send to me at bevanjames at gmail.com. I'll be getting another show out to you guys in two weeks. Now remember, I really think that the show that I've already recorded in two weeks from now is a great show to listen to. So make sure you keep an eye out for that one. Also, if you've got friends who you think would get value from listening to the Fitness Behaviour Podcast, you can send them send them a link. Let them know uh, that I'm out there and maybe just send them a link and say, hey, this podcast is really cool and here's how you can get it. Um, and if you want to become a patron of the show, go to bevanjamesisles.com and it's got a link to my Patreon page and I would really appreciate it if you could just chuck a couple dollars my way each time I do a show. And uh, also on there you can sign up for my email newsletter which I send out every couple of weeks as well. So... Um, other than that, that's pretty much today's show. You guys have a wonderful couple of weeks or fortnight, and I will see you guys real soon. Great. Thanks. See you. Bye.